morning, Abundant Life. My name is Laura, I'm the Happy Valley student pastor, and I am so honored and excited to be with you this morning. I wanna start our morning just by giving a huge Mother's Day shout out to all of the moms and mom figures in our lives that we are celebrating this morning. And I specifically wanna celebrate my mom. Now for reference, this is my family. Um, From left to right, you've got me and my husband, Spencer. Next is my brother and his wife. They got married just this past June. And then at the very end is my parents. Now I was having lunch with them a few weeks ago and we were talking about today. And I asked my mom, hey, what was your favorite Mother's Day memory? Now, my parents just moved out of my childhood home. And so I know that they've been going through pictures, crafts, so many memories over the years. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, my mom must have the sweetest memory of Mother's Day. Maybe something like this. Seeing us sing in the kids' choir, breakfast in bed, Uh, dinner at her favorite restaurant. And I just could not wait to hear what adorable story stood out to her from my childhood. Well, she thought about it for a few minutes and then she goes, well, you know, a really special Mother's Day was actually the first Mother's Day that I didn't see you or your brother. Okay, I'm gonna be really honest with you. This was not uh, the response that I was expecting from my mom. So she went on and she said, after church, uh, she and my dad got in the car and my dad asked her, where do you wanna go for lunch? She gave him a couple of suggestions and they start driving. So they're driving along and she realizes he misses the exit for the first restaurant she suggested. They keep driving. He misses the exit for the second restaurant that she suggested. And they drive a little longer. And eventually he goes, well, we're already halfway to my favorite restaurant. So we'll just go there as if like he wasn't in control of where this car was going and knew where he was taking her. But what I love about this story is that clearly my mom didn't have huge expectations for this day. She knew it was going to be different not being able to see me or my brother, but she realized in this moment that she did have one expectation, that she would get to choose where they went for lunch. Now, before I go on, she did want me to clarify that that was not her favorite Mother's Day. Um, If you're around my family for any amount of time, you have to be fluent in sarcasm. You can just ask my poor husband. But I think sometimes having expectations around holidays, around days like today, it's pretty normal. But what about expectations in other areas of our lives? Expectations about what school we're going to go to, what job we get, when we'll get married, when we'll have kids, expectations about our kids and what their lives will look like. I think sometimes we don't even realize that we have these expectations until suddenly they're not playing out the way we thought they would. Have you ever found yourself saying something like, man, I really thought this would have happened by now. So my question for you this morning is where in your life have you had expectations that didn't play out the way you thought they would and what did you do about it? Well, today we're going to continue on in our series, Little Stories, Big Picture, where we are looking at stories from the Old Testament and really seeing what we can learn about them in light of the whole story of the Bible. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Samuel, which you can find in, you guessed it, the book of 1 Samuel, if you wanna go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. But before we dive into his story, I want to share with you what really drew me to Samuel's story 
And that was the story of Hannah, Samuel's mother. We find her story in 1 Samuel chapter one. And if you're like me just a few months ago and maybe don't know Hannah's story super well, I wanna just give you a little bit of context. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah and Elkanah had another wife as well. This was during the ancient time period where this was considered pretty normal. But there was a really big difference between Hannah and this other wife. And that was that Hannah could not have children and the other wife did. Now this was something that clearly brought Hannah a lot of pain and heartache. And this pain seems to be highlighted during their family's annual trip to the temple. They would go, they would make a sacrifice and they would have uh, this huge feast. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter one, during one of these trips to the temple, Hannah goes off by herself to pray. And we see in verse 10, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. So if I can be honest with you, I think the reason why I was drawn to Hannah's story is because I really identify with Hannah in this season. I'm in a season of trying and wanting to have kids. And I feel like right now I'm left with more questions than answers of why that's not happening. In this season, I have felt all of the emotions, sadness, confusion, even anger with God. And I know that days like today can bring up pain like we see in Hannah for a variety of reasons, whether it's loss or a broken relationship. And what I love about this is that we see the humanity of Hannah in this moment. I think for one reason or another, we can all see ourselves as Hannah crying out bitterly to God. So the priest of this temple, Eli, he sees her praying and she is praying in such distress, so out of the norm for how other people normally pray at the temple. Eli actually accuses her of being drunk. And we're going to skip down to verse 15 and hear Hannah's response. I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again and she was no longer sad. So in this time period, people and especially women didn't have direct access to God. So anytime they wanted to communicate with God or hear from him, it was through a priest or a sacrifice. So that's what we see in Eli's conversation with Hannah that gives her so much hope. But what's so cool is that this hope that Hannah gets from Eli in this moment is the hope that we can have in Jesus today. And even though it sounds backwards, your place of greatest pain can actually become where you experience God's love the most. The beautiful thing about our relationship with God in light of the cross is that through Jesus, we can have real honest relationship with him. So this morning, can I just encourage you with this? Whatever you are feeling, invite Jesus into it. Whatever you have carried in this morning, whether it's 
amazing joy or deep pain, you can invite Jesus directly into that place. Ultimately, we see that Hannah's prayer is answered. She becomes pregnant, she has a son, and she prays this beautiful prayer rejoicing with God in 1 Samuel chapter two. And over this last season, I felt that joy as I've had friends who have had kids and get to see them celebrate their first or second Mother's Day. I think so often we find ourselves in this tension between joy and pain and all of the emotions can be so confusing. So wherever you are today, whether you're rejoicing in answered prayers or sitting in the midst of unfulfilled expectations, Jesus wants to meet you there. I just want to encourage you today, be honest with him. Invite him in to exactly how you're feeling and know that no matter what, you are not alone. So now that we've heard a little bit of Samuel's background with his mom, Hannah, we are going to dive into his story in 1 Samuel chapter two. So Samuel has grown up and he has left his family to go live at the temple with the priest, Eli. And in chapter two, verse 12, we're going to meet Eli's sons. Now they are living the life that Samuel is actually stepping into. They grew up in the temple. They helped Eli with priestly tasks. And now they are actually taking over responsibilities as priests. And from what we know of Eli so far, he seems like a pretty good guy. But his sons, well, that's a little bit of a different story. So chapter two, verse 12 says, now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Okay, this is not my expectation of somebody who is a faith leader or a priest. I mean, the word scoundrel, this is not what I would expect. Now, what they are doing is they are taking advantage of people who are coming to the temple to make sacrifices to God. They are taking their offerings for themselves and they are even taking advantage of women who are coming to the temple to pray. And Eli finds out what his sons are doing and he begs them to take their responsibility as priests seriously. He asks them to turn away from their sin and instead to follow after what God's expectations of them are. But no matter what he said, the warnings they got from other people, nothing could change their behavior. But now we're going to see what Samuel has been up to as he has been growing up in the temple. Verse 26 says, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. Sounds a little different from what was written about Eli's sons, right? This is what I would expect from a priest or a leader of the faith, someone who's growing in favor with God. But when we turn to chapter three, this is where the story gets interesting for Samuel. We're gonna pick up in chapter three, verse two. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, which I think is just a really nice way of saying like Eli is really, really old. So one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out Samuel, Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied, go back to bed. 
So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Okay, so at this point, Samuel has to be wondering if Eli is just messing with him or or if he's completely lost his sanity. And I wonder if we were in Samuel's shoes, would we have gotten up that third time? (laughs) Would we have sacrificed the comfort of getting sleep, of being in bed to get up that third time? I'm gonna be honest with you. It takes a lot to get me out of bed before 7 a.m., especially in the winter. And usually Starbucks or Chick-fil-A breakfast is really the only thing that can do the trick. But without the promise of caffeine, Samuel does get up. And this is where Eli realizes something much bigger is at play here. He tells Samuel to go back to bed. And if he hears the voice again, to get up and respond in verse nine, speak Lord, your servant is listening. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, speak Lord, your servant is listening. I want us to take note of the posture Eli instructs Samuel to take to hear from God. Now we just learned Samuel had never had a message from the Lord before. He didn't know how to act in order to hear from God. But Eli tells Samuel to pause and create an intentional invitation for God to speak. Nothing complicated, no fancy words, just asking God to speak and being willing to listen. So Samuel follows Eli's direction and God speaks to Samuel. How cool, right? God must be telling Samuel something super exciting. What an amazing opportunity, right? Yeah, not so much. Um, 1 Samuel 3 verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. Yikes. Talk about being the bearer of bad news. Understandably, Samuel doesn't really want to tell Eli about this. And I think honestly, I probably would too if I was in his situation. I think Samuel could have chalked it up to having a weird dream or he could have even sugarcoated the truth when Eli asked him what the Lord had shared with him. But instead, he tells Eli the whole story and it changes Samuel's life. He goes on to be one of the most influential spiritual leaders in Israel, all because he was faithful to a call that he didn't understand in the moment. He didn't know what was in store for him right then. He wasn't seeking influence or leadership. He wasn't asking, what can I get out of this encounter with God? Instead, he simply responded to an invitation, not knowing where it would lead. So what's the point? What can we learn from this story? How can this story impact our lives today? 
Well, as I was studying this passage, a connection from the New Testament stood out to me when Jesus called his disciples. Now, if you were with us last week, Pastor Aaron actually walked through one of these encounters from Luke chapter five, when Jesus called Peter, James, and John to leave behind their livelihood as fishermen and follow him. So these three men are in a fishing boat They let down their nets as Jesus tells them to, and they bring in more fish than they know what to do with. But then we read in verse 11, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now they had no clue what it would mean to leave behind everything they knew and followed Jesus. And if we're honest, this could have gone terribly wrong. This could have been a horrible mistake to leave behind success and comfort and knowing what they're going to do in order to follow after Jesus. This had to take an insane amount of trust and faith to answer this call. But they had a choice just like we have a choice every day. And the choice before us, before the disciples, before Samuel is to choose trust. I love this quote from author Jess Connolly. When you wonder if you really heard God correctly, whether it's about a calling, a decision, or a life choice, when you wonder if you can step out in faith, not knowing if he'll be there to back you up, remind yourself of the following. Knowing exactly what God wants us to do is not the aim of our life. Worship is. You see, so often in our lives, we're focused on the next step. What's ahead? What do I need to be doing today to get to where I want to be tomorrow? We create idols out of our life plans, which can leave very little space for God to do amazing things in our lives. So here's my question for us today. How much room do we leave for God to show up in our lives and for us to change as we grow to know him more. If we're honest, I think oftentimes we want to control the direction that our lives are headed and we end up just inviting God along the way as we live the life that we want rather than having him be in control. Christine Kane puts it this way. We want to add Jesus to what we're doing. We don't want to drop everything and follow Jesus. When we are focused on what we can gain, on what will benefit us, on the story playing out exactly how we had envisioned it, we might miss out on the best that God has for us. Eli's sons are a great example of what happens when our priorities are out of alignment with God. They got everything they wanted in that moment, but they missed out on more than they ever could have imagined. Well, a few weeks ago, I was out at a vineyard in Sherwood and we were talking to one of the staff members there. And he was explaining to us about what makes this winery unique. And that's they only use about 50% of the grapes that they grow in their wine. Now, other wineries use between like 75 and 80% in order to maximize the profit that they can get. 
So he kind of walked us through this growing process. And right after they plant and the grapes start to grow, they go ahead and they get rid of 25% of the grapes. Now, these are ones that aren't going to be healthy. They won't ripen for various reasons like sun or soil. And so they go ahead and get rid of those so that they can have the vine put all of its energy into grapes that they will be able to use. But then about a month before the harvest, they get rid of another 25% of the grapes. Now keep in mind, these are grapes that other wineries would love to use, even in places like Napa Valley, where quality is held in the highest of regard. But what's acceptable for this winery isn't good enough. Even though they miss out on profit by doing this, they get rid of grapes that are simply good in order for the vine to give energy to grapes that are best. And as I was driving home, I was struck by how closely this can relate to our lives. If our goal is to live in the best that God has for us, there are going to be things that can get in the way of that. And some of these things are really obvious. Things like greed, pride, addiction, distractions. These are things that we can look at pretty objectively and say, this is not healthy for me. This will not be beneficial to my relationship with God. And I think those are really the first 25% of the grapes that they get rid of. But then there are things that on the surface are really good. Things that we work hard for, things that benefit us and others things like financial security, a job we're really passionate about, a full social calendar. These things aren't bad, but they can get in the way of experiencing the best that God has for us if we hold on more tightly to them than we do to God. Now for me, I was a girl with a plan. You can ask anybody I went to high school with, I knew exactly how my life was going to play out. I went to school to study speech pathology. I graduated, got a job as a speech pathologist, got married, got a house. Life was good and it was going exactly to plan. But then came the day when everything changed. I felt a stirring in my heart that I was being called to step out of speech pathology and into student ministry, a complete 180. But here's the thing, those three years that I spent as a speech pathologist were not bad. To be quite honest, it was something I was good at. It was something I enjoyed. I believe God really grew my faith through those three years. And if I had decided to stay in that profession, I believe that there would have been good that came from that as well. But at the end of the day, I believe that stepping into the role that I am in now is me living the best that God has for me. Even in the hard days, even in the mess that this last year has been, even in stepping out of security that came along with my previous career, at the end of the day, God has shown up repeatedly, affirming that in this season, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. Now, I don't know what it is for you. It might not mean completely changing your career, but side note, it also might mean that. 
It doesn't matter where you are in life. God wants to invite you into the best that he has for you right now. Students, if you've been around, you've heard me say this before, you don't have to wait to step into what, is God, what God is calling you to. You can do that right now. And on the flip side of that, it is never too late to step into something new that God might be inviting you into. No matter where we are in life, God wants to use us in incredible ways as long as we are willing to listen. So a question that we need to ask this morning is what can I let God prune in my life in order to experience the best that he has in mind? Can we follow in the example of Samuel and the disciples and drop everything to follow Jesus? So as we close our time together, I want to encourage you to spend some time with God asking him where he might be inviting you into something new and also what might be getting in the way of that. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's a distraction like our phones or Netflix, but maybe it's something a little different. Maybe it's the way you view security how you value success, the way you treat the people around you or how you spend your time. Well, I've asked the worship team to play one more song as we spend some time reflecting on where God might be moving in our lives, where he might be challenging us to let go of our comfort and follow him. This song is called New Wine and I love the message of these lyrics. So I yield to you into your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. When we can let go of our plans, of our expectations, we can create space for God to show up. And when we can invite Jesus to sit with us in the midst of uncertainty and change, we can find hope in the truth of who he is. Would you pray with me as we close our morning together? Dear God, I just wanna thank you for the promise of who you are, for the truth that you are love, that you want the best for us. God, I pray that this morning we would be willing to let go of whatever may be holding us back from experiencing the best that you have for us. God, give us courage. Give us discernment as we spend time with you asking where you want to invite us in to something new. God, be with each and every one of us this morning as we seek to know you more. In your name, amen. Surrender 
Jesus.